Hello and welcome back to Security Insights, the podcast that takes a deeper look at today's most important issues in cybersecurity and beyond. I'm Stephen Pritchard, editor and presenter. The last 12 months really have been without any precedent in peacetime. And there's been a forced revolution in the way that millions of people go about their working lives in the UK and across the world. Business has adapted quickly to the changes brought on by the pandemic, and for the most part, they've managed that change well. Certainly, few of us could have imagined a mass-scale move to remote working, even five, and let alone ten years ago. But the speed of change has brought problems. Security is one of them. What have we learned from the 12 months of the pandemic? And which of those lessons will be the most useful as the economy starts to open up again? And above all, are the security holes curated by the pandemic response that we still need to patch? Our guest for this episode is Amar Singh, founder of the Cyber Management Alliance. Singh was one of our first guests when we started to cover security and the pandemic back in the spring of 2020. Then, he predicted that business would have to move quickly to allow staff to work from home. Inevitably, that would mean some security compromises. How, though, have we fared? What steps do we now need to take? And what does cybersecurity look like if indeed this is the new normal? Amar, thank you for joining us again. Stephen, thank you. A pleasure to be back. When we go back to last March, April we started to look at how organizations were going to manage this transition and secure their operations on a remote basis. What what stood out for you at the time as being the priorities and which of those decisions that organizations made, that CISOs made, have proved to be the right ones? That's a very good question, Stephen. So I think the priorities a year ago were operational, dare I say. Uh, you know, companies needed people up and running to be able to work from anywhere. Um, that may have, as we discussed, led to several bad decisions or half-baked configurations, which I think many have realized they need to do something about and are playing catch-up. Um, but it's not necessarily going to be a smooth ride. For some it may, for some it may not. Because operations always comes first, let's be absolutely honest. And you don't want to change. Uh, I mean, I think I may have said this the last time, Stephen, but today if you have 1,000 employees, and sorry, and last year you had 1,000 employees in two offices, but today you have 1,002 offices, right? Now, the on a good day, to manage 1,000 devices in a central location has been a challenge. Now imagine configuration, you know, taking the laptop away, getting a new laptop, making sure it's secure, making sure the update has been delivered, etc., etc. For 1,000 offices, the challenge is not any easier. Indeed, it's just getting more difficult. But again, I'm just thinking back to this this point that you made about operations. I think it's uh, it's very valid. There was an initial phase, wasn't there, of keeping the business running, and actually, most businesses were quite successful in doing that, weren't they? Absolutely. I think the majority of our clients 
and our networks uh, clients they are they have seen benefits majority of benefits actually working from you know anywhere uh, the in some cases the argument has been staff productivity has gone up instead of spending 3 hours on the road those 3 hours have been spent with family and or work um, so yes to answer your question i think overall the benefit for most organizations in majority of verticals has they have seen nothing but benefit but when we talked about this last year we also said there are some compromises that had to be taken some compromises had to be made and there were decisions that were made in the moment that may not have been the best decisions from a security point of view and one of the ideas that you were suggesting was that CISOs should make a list of the changes that have been introduced and go back and revisit them at some point and say okay these changes perhaps these are developments that we can keep these are developments that we can potentially keep if we add additional security to them and these are developments that we're going to have to move away from because actually they are a temporary fix and they don't they don't meet the security posture of our organization does that process still hold true in your mind i think that process holds true that's a very good question it still should be done but i think it always becomes a clash of security over operations that's the reality um, you know, so I may have a list, the CISO may have a list. I've got to make sure I change, you know, the secondhand laptops that we may have had to buy. Uh, but that may sadly just remain on the list because I, you know, the CISO now has to go and uh, get a hundred laptops changed, if, if that makes sense, right? Operationally, on a good day before COVID, it would have been a, a, a an overhead but now you have, like I said, 100 different locations where you have to get the new laptops and, and retrieve the secondhand laptops, for example. So it's a, it's a really good question. I think, uh, sadly, what happens, uh, exceptions, uh, you know, pending items to ensure we clean up, you know, the cleanup list. Uh, sadly, and I hope it's not true, but sadly for many organizations, remains a cleanup list after everything settles down and and given the uncertainty with covid things are not settling down tomorrow we may be told you can go back to office and then a week later you can't go back to office so i think that sadly adds to the uncertainty it makes it it makes the job of securing the assets much more difficult and Given the fact that those, I mean, hypothetically, the 1,000 employees that someone has now communicating with them uh, becomes that much more difficult because, as we discussed, uh, I think, uh, as we were preparing for just joining this call, uh, Stephen, imagine how are you going to implement your clear desk policy, right? Um, there is no way you can do that now. So there are certain realities that have just completely changed. How are you going to get an assurance? Are you going to self-assess? Are you going to ask each employee to say, tick here if your desk is not have, does not have any confidential documents? So I think there are very interesting times ahead. It's uh, the CISO, the security director has to navigate the loss of control and visibility. And very interestingly, dare I say, trust the human which is kind of contrary to the 
zero trust uh, philosophy that has been around for a while, but is now being pushed more and more. So it becomes an interesting challenge, both from the human front and the, you know, and the organizational front. So again, we can split the problem up because we've got the issue of the short-term changes and the short-term changes are becoming medium-term changes because, again, when we discussed this last year, when other people looked at this last year, we were anticipating that lockdowns would perhaps be around for three months. So you could do that with second-hand laptops. You could do that by asking people to connect you know, via the tablet that they had at home. But that doesn't work when you're into the second year which we now are, unfortunately. And it's quite likely that we will have some restrictions for a lot longer. So how many of those temporary things are edging towards being not so much permanent, but we just have to keep them running longer than we'd anticipated? <laughs> how much time do we have, Stephen? Um, one thing I can say for certain is, on a positive note, the human has always been... Uh, an important line of defense. I'm not going to say the first line or the third line, but an important line of defense. Um, and what I mean by that is, again, traditionally, and don't get me wrong, I'm a massive supporter of remote working, but there was a balance. You know, you would see people, you would tap someone on the shoulder and say, hey, I have a problem. You know, can I take some advice on, you know, a password or whatever, right? Um, and humans were also actually actively in many organizations, and I hope in all, were, re were, were participating in reporting, for example, phishing, uh, in reporting uh, in uh, dodgy documents or, or weird documents that they may have opened. As we leave the human interface behind and go completely virtual, it's just human tendency to not necessarily a report because instead of tapping you on the shoulder, I now have to fill up a form, for example, if I wanted to ask you something, or I have to book a 15-minute meeting with you, or I have to chat with you and hope you respond while another 100 people are chatting with me. So I think, and I'm trying to be pragmatic. I am very pragmatic. I'm trying to be positive. I'm absolutely positive in my nature. But if this reality carries on and becomes the absolute norm, the, the onus on the human to, to maintain contact and then for the organization to reciprocate that contact in a timely manner is an interesting challenge. That's just one of the practical difficulties that affect security, isn't it? Because we don't have that ability to walk around and see what's happening. And, and CISOs say, or good CISOs say, that actually time spent on the, the floor of the business is always time well spent. And I know that's part of your approach as well. But you can't really do that remotely. And there's something quite intrusive about sending someone uh, a message online or sending them a compliance form to fill in that perhaps isn't as intrusive as just saying, oh, maybe there's a better way of doing that as you walk past their desk. So how do you compensate? Can you compensate for that? At the moment, I have no immediate answer. As you say, I'm a man of the people. That sounds almost <laughs> like I'm a ruler. But, you know, as a CISO, um, I absolutely believe in talking to people. And, I, you know, sometimes someone wants to say something to you that is off the record. Hey, Amar, I may have you know, opened an email, do you want to quickly check for me? Now they have to put it on an email. 
and it becomes, in my opinion, evidence for anything else. And that changes the reality. So I'll put, I mean, I myself may not put something in an email, which I could have easily phoned you and asked, for example. And you know how long it takes for for calendar invites to synchronize. Uh, you know, you, you, and I, you and I have been trying to synchronize for a week now. So I think that human, that hum- ability of the, the uh, you and I to engage on short, useful, productive discussions, questions, help seek answers, losing that may be a really uh, detrimental to forget human sanity for a second because that could be a completely separate long discussion but could have a long-term impact on operational security, incident response, incident management, you know, the whole kind of security uh, umbrella. And it's not... It's not unique to security by any means, but there isn't really a an alternative, a practical workable alternative to that informal social contact that you have in the office. So whilst it may be the case that we'll be using the office less, we need to start thinking of alternative ways to communicate important messages. And, and security is one of those areas where you have to keep communicating those messages, don't you? Yes. And as I, and, and, and I just mentioned earlier, for me, the human is the most important layer of defense. If someone can phone me up and say, you know, if I was in the office or someone could just phone me up, phone me up and I answer straight away, he or she could say, hey, Amar, you know, I may have opened a, a, a weird looking macro. I'll take a look. But now if that person has to email me because he can't get hold of me uh, because I'm now remote and I've got a hundred other things to do, or he or she has to book an appointment with me to tell me that they opened a weird document, you and I both agree, I think, the likelihood is less. Which may mean that one weird macro now gets through and it becomes a major uh, attack that will linger on in my organization. And that also extends to data protection and data privacy, doesn't it? Because again, if somebody has lost data somehow. Early reporting is imperative, especially with GDPR. But if they don't report, or it's difficult for them to report, you're losing vital time, which might allow you to fix the problem, or at least to mitigate some of the impact. Absolutely. Breach readiness, I think, uh, on a good day has been a problem for many organizations. And we advise clients on breach readiness, how to make sure their organization is breach ready. Early reporting, early detection, early response if i don't know and someone hasn't told me for you know uh, something and if my systems haven't detected it then the ciso is going to be oblivious until he, or the data privacy officer is going to be oblivious until they are informed and there's so many variations so many variables environment variables that may mean that the employee may not be able to do that on time it's it's interesting times to say the least, and it may impact, as we all are just discussing, you know, the notification requirements. It may impact uh, response speed, the speed of response in terms of being breach ready. And in purely practical terms, how well do some of the data breach notification systems and network monitoring systems actually work with remote operations? You know, do they? Can they monitor over VPN traffic to the same extent they can on the LAN? Are they able to scale up to having lots and lots of remote endpoints? 
I think as we were just discussing these days, uh, you know, I think we could blame everybody for congesting and blocking the internet. Um, school kids are using the internet more than you and I maybe today because they are stuck at home, you know. And I, I think given that, the reality is that the broadband providers are not necessarily catching up. Uh, the Nirvana, you know, uh, one gig, uh, super fast broadband doesn't exist everywhere. Um, uh, and that is, as you uh, kind of point out, that is a massive problem for technology because when you're in a in a central location and the company has spent uh, proper money to ensure speed stability etc that goes out of the window now because you're now dependent on multiple third parties the general internet the weather etc etc for ensuring your technology that was working in your in your corporate physical network you're expecting that same thing to work from, you know, any place on earth, which absolutely is not going to happen. There are going to be variations. There are going to be hiccups. There are going to be missed events. There's going to be lack of visibility. And is it even easy to test? Because you're you're now having to test in operation. You can't you can't test as an exercise because the people are remote now. Yeah, I mean, unless you can afford another thousand people to go to another thousand locations near where your <laughs> your existing employees are, testing becomes an interesting question because it, it you can test in one location, but it doesn't reflect reality. You can test at one location in one point of time even, and that might not reflect reality because if you test somebody's business continuity at eight o'clock in the morning or their backups at eight o'clock in the morning, that may be very different when you say lots of people are online during the day with homeschooling or even at the in the evening time because people are having to use you know online tools to talk to relatives and it's so variable which a corporate network of course shouldn't be or shouldn't have been absolutely and going back to the human uh, involvement today the parent or the parents are now becoming second teachers which means they don't have their full attention to the job, if I may. Which means they may miss something that they they would have seen on a typical day. If that parent is an IT uh, senior administrator, you can imagine the fallout from that, right? I mean, it, it comes up in movies, but human error, you know, is a major contributor to most cyber attacks, as we call them. And the chances of human error at home whilst teaching the child where the child may press something and go enter are interesting to say the least and they're not i don't think these are far-fetched scenarios these are real scenarios that could happen anytime i mean ignoring the the parrot or the cat or the dog that could hit uh, kind of jump on your keyboard and interrupt your uh, just while you were about to you know not reboot the machine and the parrot or the kid or the dog or the cat jumps on and hits the enter. <laughs> and for every person who appears on a Zoom call as a cat, there's probably another two or three people who are saving corporate data to a consumer online service or an unencrypted USB key without really thinking through the consequences. And again, if you've asked them to use a personal device, you can't lock that device down. You can't necessarily deploy the the technology on there to do things like lock off USB ports. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And, and I think one big concern, again, coming back to the human, is the remote nature, the continual, continuous quarantining, isolation. For some, it's okay. For many, it may not be. And I consider myself fairly resilient, but I, I too, like any other human, has a breaking point. And given the, the fact that this is now becoming the reality, and even if you ignore HR kind of psychology, mental health, uh, from their angle, but from the security angle, if an administrator who has the power to delete all your backups has now, he or she has now become severely stressed, they have become, uh, they may have gone into gambling, they may have gone into stock trading and lost money, etc. They may have, you know, budget problems. In the olden days, if I may, before COVID, it may have been possible to catch it because you were seeing him or her and you could, as a human, figure out something's not right with this person. Let me approach him. Let me talk to him. But now that individual is on the far end of Zoom or Teams or Google and you, all you're going to see is, hey, I'm all right. Yeah, good to see you. Bye. The operational and security con uh, consequences of that being pragmatic and realistic are, could be catastrophic. And again, it's just one element of the visibility that we no longer have. But looking at this again from a slightly different angle, we've looked at where we are and this the feeling is that we're actually still in the prioritizing operations mode. We're still trying to triage things because, again, organizations have probably not been able to return to normal processes. And there's an element of because the lockdowns have continued to come back, we're still operating on that temporary fix and keep going principle. But if we start to look forward and see what some organizations are now saying about the way they're going to be working in the future... They're talking about potentially reducing office space, having people only in the office for critical meetings, perhaps moving towards you know away days or longer periods of mini conferences or events at uh, hotels where people can gather together from from their remote locations, uh, potentially having more regional offices, more local facilities rather than a big central office and lots of commuting. All these things are up for play. And we've even seen some organizations, you know, especially in Silicon Valley, saying, well, actually, people won't have to return to the office at all. And they can opt to work from wherever they want in the world, uh, subject to some basic availability of network infrastructure, presumably. That is a huge shift. So although we've seen a big shift in the last year, the bigger shift might still be to come. Absolutely. And I think the only way to get around this, and I've mentioned that word before, is absolute zero trust. Because you have no idea now who's on the other side of the keyboard. And it's again, it's easy to say, don't get me wrong. Oh, I'm going to implement zero trust. I'm going to challenge. But actually kind of making it a, a, day, a way of life is going to take some time. And if it can be achieved, I think it will be one of the better uh, methods of ensuring uh, you secure your assets and your data from theft, from modification, from damage. If it can't be achieved, there may be significant headaches down the road. 
And some organisations have been, foresight is too strong a word, but some organisations were fortunate that they'd already embarked on a move towards zero trust before all this happens. And they're probably in a very good position compared to some of their peers. But is this now something that boards of directors should be looking at and say, OK, there is, there is a possibility that we're going to have a larger number of people operating remotely on a permanent basis. Possibility? Probability even. We now need to put in place an architecture, an information architecture, that supports them to do that and gives us the flexibility to be responsive enough and agile enough that when the next problem comes along, and none of us know what the next problem will be, we're in a better position to cope. So I'm not sure anyone expects that to be immediate or particularly easy or particularly cheap, but it may well be necessary. I agree. But what I would say to that is unless the CEO, the board and executive management support this, and I guess one easy way, and it's a bit of a LOL moment, but one easy way to test it is when the CEO or the CFO or the exec, you know, they ask you to do something and they say, sorry, I don't trust you. Who are you? Prove yourself. You could just be a, a, a voice on the other side. And that has interesting uh, reality to it because they will go, I am the CEO. Get it done. But hey, boss, I don't know who you are. You haven't, you know, you haven't gone through the traditional uh, verification, validation that I've put in place. Now, if he or she supports you, what I'm trying to get at is a culture. Zero trust in technology is, I would say, fairly straightforward, not easy, but fairly straightforward to pu push through if the management themselves understand that they are now going to be seen with the same lens of suspicion until they can satisfy verification. Absolutely. And then just thinking forward, we've got, we've got three elements here, haven't we? What's made organizations able to ride out this storm? A few people have said to me, you know, if this had happened 10 years ago, we would be in a much, much worse position than we are today. But we've had the maturing of remote working technologies. We've had the increasing use of the cloud. And we are seeing newer security models such as Zero Trust that enable that to all happen. And of course, some organizations are better prepared than others. But broadly speaking, the facilities are there, the infrastructure is there if you want to use it. But what would be the one thing you would say to directors now or to boards they need to do to prepare for this being the new normal? So if there's one area that you'd say focus your attention on, because some of this is not going away, we're going to be operating in this way for the foreseeable future, if not forever. Focus on protecting the privileged credentials whether they are on systems or on applications, servers or the cloud, that should be, in my opinion, one of the top three priorities. The next one should be on incident response, breach readiness, crisis management. You could bundle them as one. So protect the credentials with everything you have because without credentials, majority of attacks cannot succeed. And then focus on breach readiness, incident response, crisis management, reporting. You know, those, those are what kind of the two things I would say, if you can achieve that, you are in a far better position. I think uh, technology is going to get better, absolutely. 
as 6G, 5G, broadbands get better. Remember, it's amazing, but it will also make it easier for anyone to steal data and to compromise your business. Amar Singh from the Cyber Management Alliance. Thank you very much. Thank you, Stephen. Amar Singh on how cybersecurity now needs to refocus on the basics. Protecting credentials, preparing for a breach and incident response. Now that hopefully we're starting to move out of the pandemic. That, though, is all for this episode of Security Insights. In our next programme, we will interview two security professionals who took quite different routes into the industry. That episode goes live on Tuesday, March the 23rd, and I do hope you can join us then. In the meantime, you can catch up on past programmes on our website, securityinsights.co.uk, and of course on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Amazon and Spotify. Thank you for listening. Security Insights is written and presented by Stephen Pritchard, and our guest this week is Amar Singh, founder of the Cyber Management Alliance. Security Insights is produced by ENS Media, www.ensmedia.co.uk.